to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is author Jeff Vickers. Jeff just had one year sober. He also just came out with a book called Sober Slogans, which you can find his, the link to the Amazon right in the description right here. Whether you're on YouTube or you're listening, the link is in there. He's a very animated guy, very fun interview. Um, crazy story, you know, he was around with crack in the 80s in New York City when, you know, it was really going off and really starting to hit a new high of what was going on over there. So he was right in the thick of things, and we definitely get into that and a lot more for this very fun interview. The show, I appreciate you taking the time, Jeff, come on here. Um, you got a book, I see it behind you, Sober Slogans. Yes, sir, thank you. When did that come out, man? When it, it came out, um, it's been out about four months now. Okay. About four months. Tag on it. Um, was it was it um July? Was it June? Was it May? I forgot. I, it, it was when we was on vacation. It was so crazy because we had everything set up, but we went on vacation and it went live. We made it go live, but just the paperbacks, you know, because I got a long term strategy and whatnot, and it's working. What 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 I thought would work. Is actually working. I'm extremely proud about that. I was under the impression that the book would resonate with enough people, especially the clinicians and practitioners, that they would perhaps believe that other people in groups would appreciate, right? And that's exactly what happened. So to date, I know of three uh, peer support specialists who are using the book. Right. So, so what's the book about then? So the book is is called Sober Slogans. The name of the company is actually Sober Slogans LLC. And what we are is and I say we because me and my, my fiance, she's um, she, she does the administrative part. She does the logistic, the uh, the uh, uh, the um, the legal aspects of it, you know, and I take care of the creative aspects of it, the um, the actual, you know, the writing and the marketing and stuff. And what we have is also a writing service aspect of the com- company. Like I'm still building up all of the marketing, you know, to get the message out. You know what I mean? But basically, it's a indie publishing company for my products as well as sober authors. But the thing is, we don't actually publish. Like, if you came to me with a manuscript, I'm not publishing it under Sober Slogans LLC, but, okay, we will do the formatting. We will speak about a, a creative direction of it, you know, if your overall vision is, 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 is speaking clearly within your body of work, you know, if you need uh, some editing, you need, you know what I mean, things like that, That's you cool. know. You know, and references for, because um, I might start doing um, book covers myself. You know, because I'm getting ready to start doing articles on my website. I'm building that out. I'm already a guest blogger on Vince Shiflet. Shout out to Vince. Sh- oh, I'm over here. I keep looking. I always do that. I look at myself. Shout out to Vince Shiflet. Um, he had his first actual signing today. I'm a guest blogger, the only guest blogger on his uh, 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 website. He has a phenomenal book out, you know, Relationship or Relationship. And I forgot the subtitle. It's it's phenomenal, right? But um, yeah, so I, I guess blog on his. I'm fleshing out my website site right now, and on the website is where I'll let people know. And he, and, and and the criteria obviously is you have to be sober, right? You know what I mean? You have to be sober. You know, I'll support any sober author. I don't care what uh, uh the genre of the work is. 
you know, because I, I can write um, fiction as well as, you know, nonfiction. That's I'm working cool. on something after after this three book series because Sober Slogans, getting back to the book per se, right? Sober Slogans itself is a three book series. The first book is Recovery Models We Love, right? And um, let me grab a cup. Can I let me grab a cup right here? See my little elephant? I love elephants. That lights up. That's that cool. lights up. It's LED. That lights up. I love elephants. I love what they symbolize. But um, you know, here we are right here. Could bring it a little closer, perhaps. All right. And after this, I'm definitely going to send you um, a PDF copy. You know, just want the people to know. Uh, 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 I need to say this. We can get back to that. I need to say this, right? I and, and I spoke to my girl and like two other people about it. I appreciate, right? Don't know if your people know. All right. I don't know if your, your community knows. But, um, you know, this is actually the first time that we're speaking. All right, JD, I like your style. I like I like the authenticity that you uh, uh, you protect the conversation with the authenticity of it because this is our first conversation. Because remember, you know, I'm old school. I'm almost 50, right? So I'm like, all right, let's chop it up beforehand. Let me know what your format is, et cetera, et cetera. Because I have, um, I've done two to three podcasts, you know, prior to yours and that's how it was set up. Like, yeah, let's get to know each other. But when you hit me with that, right, I immediately got it. I immediately got it. I am a creator. You know what I mean? I'm a writer, but I'm a creator, you know, of art. You know what I mean? Just my artist works, right? Your art is the same thing, but it's, uh, uh, um, I, I like the fact that you curate a message for your audience and you put your stamp approval on it every time because you know it's not, nothing was preemptive. We didn't set anything up. I like that. This is like, let's go. Let's get to know each other. Obviously, that's why you're like, hey, you got a book, right? So, yeah. and after this, after this, because you blessed me with the opportunity to add value to you and your community, I'm definitely going to bless you with a PDF copy of that, and we'll talk going forward, you know? All right. Yeah, cool, man. Um, now, I have to ask, so like, how, how you just hit a year sober, right? Yeah, I just hit it. What I got today? Yeah, man. I think I saw you celebrate. I think that's what got my attention. I think I saw you in one of the on one of the groups or something like that, saying, "Hey, one year sober." I'm like, "Oh, okay, maybe he's ready to talk." You know, like one of those kind of things. Um, now the question is then, like, how long were you in active addiction? If you're getting close to fifty and you got mm -hmm. one year sober, mm -hmm. would you? you know, how, yeah. Great question. Thank you so much. So I struggled with active addiction for thirty-two years exactly. Exactly. 32 years. I don't know how many months off, but 32 years. When did you start then? In your teens? I started in my teens. I originally smoked marijuana when I was nine years old. Okay, because for a little time, um, I got abandoned back to back within the first month. My mom abandoned me. Then my stepdad came, took his sons, and then he abandoned me, left me with some food stamps. The food stamps ran out, and for a little while, I was selling marijuana joints for the pimps in Harlem. How old were you? Like nine, ten, like and, you, and you were you were up in Harlem. Yeah, Harlem, New York. That's where I'm from. I'm in Atlanta now. Ah, shout out to the A, but I'm definitely from the Boogie Down Bronx. Ah, 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 ah. Shout out. <laughs> but you know, um, during that time, when 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 my mom abandoned us due to her drug addiction, but major shout out to my mom because she's going on 20 years sober right now. Ah, you gotta love it. You yep. gotta love it. But yeah. Nine years old, between nine and 10 was the first time that, you know, because after my step pops came, got his kids, you know, and abandoned me. I don't know if he had issues with my mom. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm way past uh, 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 um, 
anger and guilt and all that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, he suffered with alcoholism himself. You understand what I'm saying? He suffered with that himself. And I'm aware of that as well as I believe, you know, to be honest with you, some other addictions as well. So, of course, you know, your uh, decision making skills are kind of skewed when when you're getting high. And some people are like, whoa, but I would never abandon a child. You know, everybody's everybody's story is different. And honestly, you know, those people that say that most people that never even touch drugs or never even lost control. Yeah. You know, so I, I forgive the man. Long story short. Yeah. You know, and so when how long were, is that where you started then your journey of like, you know, 32 years? Were you in New York then? Yeah. Yeah. So. um, So uh, it was just for a little while, like I said, that I, I, at that age, I was smoking marijuana because my grandmother came and got me and she raised me. So during the time that she raised me was, you know, during my formative years uh, uh, um, and I was um, caught up in, you know, hip hop culture hit the uh, hit the ghetto within hip hop culture. Drug culture really smashed America, you know, um, totally obliterated majority of the um, impoverished neighborhoods in America. We know the story, especially crack in the 80s was like, you know, I mean, through the roof. That's all all you ever look. Yeah, you ever saw. I mean, you know, even in the movies, you know, what's up? I'm trying to think um, um, New Jack City. You know, I always think of New Jack City. You know, and I, obviously you've seen it. Classic. Shout out to John Singleton. Shout out to Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Shout out to who else is in there? Chris Ice. Rock as Pookie, man. Chris Come Rock. on. Chris Pookie. Rock. Shout out to uh, Christopher Williams. That's Shout one of, well, and actually, and, um, you know, I always think of Pookie in that scene, you know, when he's about to hit that crack pipe again, you know, and how, like, he's sweating it out and he's about to relapse and he, like, knew, like, this is happening. You know, that was a really real scene, you know, and the very, you know, um, it it definitely it made sense to me. I was a pill addict, but like I definitely had those moments of like not wanting to do these pills anymore. And then still like I just had to, you know, and they nailed that. They got and people. Anybody that's seen that movie knows that they nailed that, you know, major because definitely by the time that came out, I was definitely caught up in my active addiction. So let's speed up a little bit. Right. Yeah. So by the the uh, the some by the winter of by the summer of 1988, I was I was selling crack cocaine and also smoking it in uh, joints. So I would roll it up in paper and smoke it with either tobacco or marijuana, and I did that for years until um, the 90s when I actually hit the pipe. You know what I mean? And so from 90 to 92, I was in prison for my drug addiction, right? And from 93 to 96, I was in prison for my drug addiction. Then from 99 to 2008, I was in prison for my drug addiction. And that's when I came down here with my ex-wife. I need to share this. I need to share this, right? Because certain things are happening in your life and you won't see patterns for years. But then when you see it, you're like, oh, it's crazy. So let me express how insane my drug addiction had me when I was a teenager. So like I said, from 90 to 92, I was in prison. I was in prison because I tried to rob a um, a Chinese uh, store, like the fruits and vegetables stand, and then they sell stuff inside, you know? Um, and I got arrested, right, in 89, late 89. So from 90 to 92, I was in prison from that, for that. From 92 to 93, I came home getting high, right? 93 
I decide to go back to the same exact Chinese store. I need to look directly in the camera so you can understand how stupid that drugs had me. I went directly to the same store. Okay, it happened in 89, I got arrested, right? Then I went back there in 1993, got arrested again. Not only did I get arrested by the same police station, I got arrested by the same police officers. <laughs> the one dude was like, to, the, to, to, to his colleague was like, yo, this is deja vu. He's like, I'm feeling like we just arrested this dude a couple of years ago. And the dude was laughing and he was like, this is the same kid. And I was too embarrassed to say anything, but he's asking me, you know, he said, did we just arrest you? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm addicted to drugs, man. So how stupid is that? And and that right there, that one moment is, uh, for me at least, is, is symbolic to so many patterns, negative patterns of behavior that drug addiction had me repeating over and over. Some overt, you know what I mean? And some not so much. You understand what I'm saying? Some that's just blatant as far as, no, I'm not going to pick this uh, 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 pipe up. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do that. Not this weekend. I'm not burning through my money again this weekend, let's say, right? And then one weekend every month, you know that that's your pattern. You're relapsing. It's mandatory. You know what I mean? And that's something that's blatant. That's something that, you know, uh, 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 there's obvious ramifications to your actions because you're caught up in that negative pattern of behavior. But then there's things that's so subtle that we don't see that that starts in here. You know what I mean? And they're manifested through our patterns of behavior that may not have such, you know, severe ramifications as far as me thinking about it on a regular basis and then having, you know what I mean? To distract. That obsession. Yeah. Exactly. Thank yeah, you. Had, yeah, you had the obsession. I mean, and it sounds like you had it for a long time. I mean, were you were you still active? Because, like, I know that, like, drugs flow through prisons. So, like, were you able to find and still continue to stay high while in prison? Or were you kicking and staying straight each time? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Again, the insanity of my drug addiction. I never got high in prison. I sold marijuana. I sold, I, I kid you not, right? Kid you not. An old timer showed me how to make hooch. You know what hooch is, jailhouse yeah. wine. <laughs> yeah. Thomas showed me how to make jailhouse wine. So no matter what prison I was in, whether I was getting packages or, or love for my family or not, I knew how to make wine. I was so good with making wine that police officers and dudes from, uh, you know, the Italian mob were buying wine off of me. Like the correctional officers themselves was like, yo, you know we're supposed to get a gallon this week, right? Like dead serious, because they get drunk and they play poker and stuff. But it was so crazy, right? But I never even did my own hooch. I, I sold marijuana, I sold um, heroin, and I sold coke, I sold crack cocaine. I never did drugs in prison, dude. That's crazy, man. That's, that's awesome. It's just, you know, usually you do. Obviously, you know that. You know, usually yeah, you go in and you still find it and you still do. And mm -hmm. then, so I, I at least I, that had to have given you some kind of like confidence when you first, you know, every time you got sober. But I guess maybe because oh. you were locked up, it made it easier to like lock up in. I don't know what what was it about prison that you didn't want to get high in prison. The main thing for me, because uh, 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 I, I just keep it a hundred with my addiction. That's why people relate to me. I ain't got time, you know, to sugarcoat nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. The main thing for me is we all like to have certain experiences when we get high. We like to replicate that experience. We're chasing the dragon. We're chasing the high, right? 
So not only are you trying to chase the high per se, for me, at least I'm trying to chase the experience. I want the best crack, okay. I want the best crack cocaine I can get, but whatever it is that I like doing during that time, I might like playing poker while I'm high off a of crack. So I gotta make sure that it's poker players in the house, preferably women, right? Ain't no women in prison, right? So I was the guy, honestly, that when I got high, I liked to engage in, you know, that makes sense. Activities. You okay. know what I mean? And it wasn't happening in prison for me. So yeah. That was number one. Number two, right? I didn't understand the logic of geeking in a prison cell. Whether you're in a prison cell by yourself or you doubled up, depending on what you know state you in. You know what I mean? In New York, they doubling up, they tripling up in one cell. They quadrupling up. They putting four people in one cell. They sardine packing them. You know yeah. what I mean? So, from what I've heard, like Rikers is just like over, like yeah, just I haven't been to Rikers in a long, I haven't been to Rikers in a long time, but I'm sure they're trying to get as much bang for their buck. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. From what I read, yeah, I read something about them recently. They're basically like spilling out of there. Yeah, like, so it's a lawsuit. They they have uh 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 in in most states actually they have privatized the prison industry. So if you privatize the prison industry, you know. You know, your product is inmates and you get the money, you get your money based on square footage, how many you could pack in. You know how this go. Yeah, you know how this go. You know what I mean? But for me, I never felt the need of getting high, you know, while I was in prison. I just never felt the need. It didn't work for me. For the third case, for the third case, I caught a 15 year term and I had to do 10 inside mandatory and five on the back. So okay. that's what I did. I did 10 inside. And um, that's when I came down here to Atlanta. I've been down here since, you know, met my ex-wife while I was in prison. Beautiful woman. We had two beautiful children. Just didn't work, you know. And um, during that time, what was it? From 99 to 2008, I was in prison. Then I came down here. I've been down here since 2008. And I was was a dad. I was a husband. I was uh, a member of a church. I was... uh, um, on the staff of the church, I, <laughs> it was it was a very, very beautiful experience for me. But I felt so much out of water. I didn't grow up with uh, 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 what we call the nuclear family. You know what I mean? I didn't grow up with, you know, a mom and a dad with children. So, um, you know, I, in retrospect, I really was a good dad based on the... Um, You based on, based on get it, let me get it, let me get it, wait up, let me get it. I want to say it like exactly how I feel it. Based on the knowledge that I had at the time of what it was to be a dad without having that direct experience. I knew what it was to be a dad through media and through one or two families in my projects that, you know, the children happen to be blessed with a mom and a dad, me peering, you know, at their life, living vicariously through them, you know what I mean? But other than that, I didn't know what it was to be a dad, right? But, live, you know, looking in retrospect, I, I was a good dad. I wasn't getting high. Let's, that's why I want to clarify this, you know. So from 2008 up until probably 2015, I wasn't getting high. What transpired was we got divorced. We got separated. We were about to get divorced, and she started playing with my children. 
My addiction kicked in my head because I was making good money, not living too far from them, still coming home to do, you know, the same routine. You understand what I'm saying? But she flipped out, don't even want to get into that. She flipped out, started playing with me, being able to see them. And my addiction took hold from there. And I went on a five-year binge, right? So I have, you asked me how much time I got, right? I have one year and 22 days clean and sober, okay? During that time from 99, excuse me, from 2008 to like 2015, I, um, or was it 14, 16? It might've been 2016, right? Uh, um, I didn't consider myself sober during the time that I lived with my ex-wife and my children. No, I wasn't getting high, okay? No, I wasn't getting high. I wasn't a thought about getting high. Toward the end, I started drinking a little bit, you know, and I'm not sugarcoating it. That ain't my style. I keep it 100. It was a little bit. It was very, you know, um, like maybe on a Sunday night, you know, after we went to church, took care of what we was doing, and it was time to, you know, put the kids down. I probably had about two hours before I went to sleep. You know, I drink a nice little shot of Jameson or something. You know what I'm saying? It was on that level. It yeah. was on that level. It wasn't even, you know what I'm saying? It was nothing or some wine. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't know me because she met me in prison. So she she didn't know me during my addiction. She's never seen me during my addiction, even up until now, because I haven't seen them. I'm still trying to get my children back in my life. I'm paying child support, you know, arrears, but I'm trying to get them back in my life. So, you know, it's a blessing that they've never seen that side of me. But during this last five years, I had, um, I, I, I went, I went through, um, I went through my wilderness. Came out on the other side, you know. Yeah. What did you? So, what did you get back into then? Since you're not back in New York, you know what I mean. You weren't into drinking, you know what I mean. So, like, and crack is still around but still it wasn't like as like prevalent as it was and like as around back in the 80s and 90s as everywhere you looked so is that what you got back into though we were able to find that again down there and just hop so i started selling okay one thing i honestly believe is like when, when you have a common cultural experience right if, if you know the culture you know the culture right so it doesn't matter what your geographical location is. What I'm trying to say is I'm from the streets. <laughs> I got you. From the streets. So even though I had no previous experience with uh, 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 any kind of illegal activity down here because I was living with my wife and children, you know, when I made the decision to go to the streets, I know where it's at. I'm, I'm from the streets, bro. Like for real, for real. You can't yeah. tell me nothing about these streets. That type of attitude. So it was very easy for me to get back into the streets. I started selling drugs. Then I started, you know, uh, 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 I was selling cocaine. First, I was selling marijuana. Then the money was too slow. Started selling cocaine. Then, you know, the money was fast. The girls were there. You know how that go. Thought I was Tony. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thought I was Tony for a little while. And next thing I know, next thing I know, I'm smoking. I'm smoking again. And then, <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not good. Not good. So why, what made this one end? Because the other times you were ending because you're like, well, prison stay, I guess I'm going to stop again. Mm -hmm. um, was this another, this doesn't sound like it was a prison stay. This sounds like you actually stopped on your own this time, right? Yeah, actually I did. Um, so crazy. I tried to commit suicide, right? I was, I was um, on a very popular strip 
right. Hey, any, anybody that might watch this in the future here, this is the future from Atlanta, y'all know what um, Fulton Industrial Boulevard is, FIB. That's one of the hot strips, you know what I mean? So I was out there for like a couple of days. It was like between 90 to 110. I'm barely drinking because I, I can't, and that's the thing about my addiction. Dude, more power to the people who can sit there and they can smoke weed, take a blast and get all crazy, smoke weed, bring themselves down, take a drink while they doing that, you know, leveling it out, moderating. I respect that. I have no control. I have no control. I'm not eating. I'm not drinking. Like, literally, I've been in so many situations where people are like, don't even pick it up again unless you drink something. Don't pick the pipe up again. Drink something. You wilding right now. Like, look at you. You're going crazy. Everybody else is chilling, but you're not. You don't have control. You can't be a part of our party, right? Yeah. So many people told me that. Like, I'm, I'm dealing with people that's my age. I'm in my 40s, right? So I guess I'm, get, I'm getting high with people that's in their 40s that have learned that level of control, right? Not me. My addiction is a beast. I'm not, there ain't no control on this. You know, when I wake it up from the slumber, it's not a good thing. You know what I mean? But what happened was I was out there on FIB. It was a couple of days. I was severely dehydrated. I could barely walk. Like, I felt like the tin man so and i'm out there for a couple of days and i'm going through stuff and it's just so crazy right so i decided to like walk in front of a martyr bus why because i can't really walk right so i said well let me sit on the curb act like i'm waiting for the bus you know what i'm saying and then just jump in front of this mofo you know what i mean before you hit the brakes so that was my big plan well it ain't work <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you're sitting there. It ain't work. Somebody came out of nowhere, you know, and, and when I say nowhere, you know, of course it's based on perception. You know what I mean? I'm sitting there with my head down this way, so ain't no telling when they, you know, came about and, 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 and saw that. But honestly, from my perspective, somebody came out of nowhere, you know, and they pulled me and took me over to the motel. I just want to, uh, waiting for that siren to go by. Can you, if you don't mind starting that back over again, I just want to take that part out. Because it got really loud in my ears, so I don't want part of listeners to yeah. go, holy shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on a strip. I'm on a strip. Beautiful. I'm in a, I'm in a beautiful neighborhood. Baby. I like that Jay-Z book behind you, too. Actually, that's a painting. You want to see it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a painting. As you can tell, I'm in the, like, you know, other kind of paint. You see them behind me, too. Yo, I see you. I see you. And because of the way that this place is structured, I can't really have the background like I want, but we're moving from here next year and we're getting our first house. But this is a, this is a pain. Sick. Sick. Yeah. So it's the metal hang up. Who, you know? Is someone do that, you know, or? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you in a second. Okay. Yeah, all right, cool. So um, I got that from a young lady from Chicago. I came across her TikTok and, um, I, uh, she's she, that's what she does. She's phenomenal. Yeah. And um, she's from Chicago. She's done uh, Pepsi commercials for Chicago. She she has some of her stuff. I think in a you know couple of exhibits out there. Like she's really the deal. Kelly. Uh, 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 um, I don't want to go through my whole TikTok. Whatever. We got too many. No, people. that's fine. Yeah. Kelly, Kelly something, but she's from Chicago. So that's when cool. I saw it, you know, I went to her website, and that's you know that's the first piece you know, to my official collection. Because I've had, you know, a couple of pieces here and there throughout the years, but I absolutely love art. But anyway, you were telling the story um, about, like, you know, 
you were telling a story about your friend pulled you or somebody pulled you. Yeah, so this guy, this guy, he pulls me back and he gets me over there to where the uh, the motel is where I'm staying at, you know, and we wait for the EMT workers, you know, to come get me, uh, uh, take care of me, right? So they started pumping me with fluids. Dude, I kid you not, inside my stomach, it looked like there was there were beetles in my stomach because I was that dehydrated. And the young guy was amazed. He was just like, you know, I ain't never seen nothing like this. And the older guy was like, I saw it one time. He said, this dude is, you got to chill here. So I don't know how many liters or whatever it was that they gave me. And then from there, they took me to the psych unit here. It's called Grady Hospital. And the 13th floor is where they took me. You know, and I was there for a couple of days. And 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 during the time that I was there is when I I, I honestly had a spiritual awakening. You know, I had a spiritual awakening. It was just like enough is enough, dude. Yeah. Enough is enough. You know, so I left there and um, a scenario had popped in my head that happened with a guy who was my sponsor very briefly. And what he said to me resonated with me and it helped me make this decision to seek help as soon as I left the psych unit. And what he said to me was, Jeff, keep coming back. And I speak about it in my book, in the chapter, keep coming back, right? But this is so real because I I felt a level of calm within me on one hand when I left the psych unit that the decision that I made not to get high was real, but underneath, underneath, there was a there was a practical fear. I was homeless. The woman that I was staying with, you know how that go, deuces, dude. You want to be a crackhead, go about your business, which I respect. You know what I mean? So that was a wrap, you know? And I had no, you know, like people down here that I could roll up on and be like, hey, because I ain't been in contact with nobody. And that ain't really my style anyway. My, my struggle, and I've always been like that. You know, you have people like, you know, especially, you know, smoking crack growing up. You know what I mean? You always see people disturbing their family with their addiction. That just wasn't me. I was the guy that went MIA for two, three years. If I'm getting high, I'm MIA. If I'm, if, you know, if I'm in jail or if I wind up dead, it is what it is. But I'm not dipping in your purse. I'm not lying to you asking you to cash at me nothing. Like, I don't get down like that. You know what I'm saying? So You'd you know. rather go to the ch- same Chinese stores over and over. <laughs> well, I switched my hustle up. Thank you, though. I'd rather not do that anymore. <laughs> I'd rather not do that anymore. I started uh-huh. different kinds of Chinese stores. Smart. <laughs> we, we don't need to discuss that. <laughs> so I didn't have any place to go, right? Now, like a, a year previously, I had went through this, 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 this place. These, these people are so beautiful. They're called Must Ministries. M-U-S-T, I forgot what the acronym stands for, but they're just beautiful people, right? So I went through, I went through uh, their program, which is a 30-day program. Look, this, this, never heard of this in my life, right? Maybe it's because of the area, whatever. It's in Marietta, Georgia, right? You go through the 30-day shelter. During the time that you're in a 30-day shelter, they expect you to get a job, right? which shouldn't be a problem because they have it they have a relationship with the chicken factory 
They're even in the chicken factories orientation brochure. So they automatically hook you up with a job. That's not a problem. And while you're there, they suggest that you look for a house because they have a, a, a place to stay because they have a, um, a, a housing program. And if you find a place to stay and it's within that county, you know, within the first month, they'll take care of the first month and last month security and like 80% of the first month's rent. Then the second month to go down to 60. The third, I mean, they set you up. So I went through that program, right? Then I relapsed and boom, boom. So now I'm back out there, right? I'm leaving the hospital and I'm like, the only other place that I could go is back to the program. The message from my sponsor, Josh, who I'll never forget, was Jeff, keep coming back, keep coming back. That played in my head the whole time I was on the bus. I get to the place and I, even though I, I went through the program and something happened. I was still able to come back through the program. Okay. Cause I successfully went through the program, but I was one month shy. So my counselor paid for Uber for me to go to this place called sober living of America, which was like, I don't even know how you categorize that. It's a place where, where uh, uh, it's a sober living environment, but they help you uh, go to work and stack your money. And you know what I mean? I don't even want to get into the conversation about them, but it's pathetic that they even exist the way that they run that place. Like, seriously, I had to leave that place. Now, my counselor paid for me to get to that place. I stayed there. I was there for probably about two weeks, but I had to leave. Why? People are getting high around me and my face. You know what I'm saying? It's like 12. It's not. Yeah. It's the worst thing you can see when you're in rehab. Dude. I mean, the night that I the night that I left, dude, I kid you not, one, two, three, four. There were between four to five guys that got high that night. And three of them lived in the apartment that I lived in. Literally, my excuse me, literally, I'm in a room with two guys. Both of them got high from Heron, and both of them got high that night. And I was like, dude, I got to go. So I left the place. And they took me to a place called the Cab Crisis Center, which ironically, maybe about a year and a half, two years before, I got kicked out of that. They didn't even let me go to that crisis center because I was so zonked out of my mind on cocaine. And it was like, they was like, the only thing he has to do is let it run through his system. They was like, he's not drinking alcohol. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not heroin. It's not alcohol. So we don't have to let him in. He's just out of his mind on coke. Let him just go over there for a couple hours. Just take this guy somewhere. So I was never admitted in there. But that day, they admitted me. I did 10 days in there. I got into a program called My Brother's Keeper uh, 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 down in Morrow, Georgia. And so My Brother's Keeper is where we, we lived at. It was the residential. And they have a relationship with a place called Paula Crane or the Crane uh, 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 Life and Enrichment Center. Love those people, dude. Not the people at the at the facility that, they, you know, I don't, I don't really, you know, appreciate them too much but the pe people that ran the facility uh, or the treatment facility rather you know what i mean they they they're in the book as well right they the the way that their modality or their methodology of the way that they teach treatment is called peer delivered modality that means that if i'm sitting here speaking and you're the one that's sitting there teaching the class you're in recovery as well. It is peer delivered. Stamp of approval, dude.
So I don't have to sit there and be like, this dude, JD, just one in his friggin' mouth. He got a damn degree in social uh, 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 justice or whatever. He's probably here for a couple of credits. Fuck this dude. Nah, you standing up there, you got 20, 30 years clean and sober. So that's the case with them over there at, you know, the crane. You know what I mean? Bernice and Donald and, you know what I mean? That staff over there, they got 20, 30 years clean. So while I'm in the program, you know, I'm going through treatment while I'm in the program, regular as far as the classes and exercises, but also as far as the psych is concerned too. You know what I mean? So she's helping me, whether she believed it or not, man. It was just like, and I only stayed there. I was supposed to stay there six months. I left because going back to uh, uh, where I lived at, the administration there, uh, uh, um, we, we just we just didn't gel. You know what I mean? We didn't gel. So I didn't even stay there the full six months. I think I was there for four months, right? And um, I really did not want to leave, but we didn't we didn't gel, and it was jeopardizing my recovery. Not my sobriety, my recovery, because I believe there's something, you know, I believe there's a difference. Also, you know, I wrote uh, an article about that not, not too long ago. You know, sobriety and recovery, is there a difference? And I believe so. So it was affecting, you know, it was affecting. You wanna, can you elaborate on it? Just for anybody else, because like I mean, I would love to hear your breakdown of it. I appreciate it. Okay, so when we hear about you know uh, being a recovering addict, you know, it's like okay, what's that? You know what I mean? If we make distinctions and say that this person is an active addict, obviously they're using, right? If this person is a recovering addict, they're not using, but. It's more than just not using, because if we were talking about just not using, we'd be talking about abstinence, right? So there has to be some additional things going on with this recovering addict person, right? What I believe is when we speak about the recovering part of the addict, that's the adjective, right? What, what is this about? You know what I mean? This is describing the addict. The addict is the noun, the person. Right? So what kind of addict is this? The recovering addict for me is the addict who's on a journey to regain the level the level of health that they had before the addiction, right? And that they're staying on that path to continue to educate themselves about that addiction and to educate themselves about their relationship with that addiction. That is the path of recovery. And it is heavily, it is heavily invested with education. During the path of recovery, it is, you, you should heavily invest in the education of your disease, what disease is, you understand what I'm saying? And the relationship that you had pre, you, you have, it's a, it's an education. That's when you're recovering. You understand what I'm saying? That's when you're going through uh, 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 um, counseling sessions and things like that. It's to get back what happened before the catalyst that occurred within my life and your life, which propelled us on this journey of self-destruction through drugs that we call addiction, right? You know what I mean? So that for me is what recovery is about. 
You know what I mean? It's about me constantly at, not, not for me, you know, and this is just for me, you know, at my fingertips, I'm always reading about, you know, I'm always reading about addiction. It is, it's mandatory. It, that's just for me. It's mandatory for me to educate myself about addiction, about what the scholars are saying, about, you know, what's my attitude about what they're saying. Do I have an opinion about it? Of course I do, because I'm opinionated, right? You know, so that's recovery for me. Finding out what's going on. What's Matt? What's what's smart recovery? What's you, you know what I mean? Like really finding out what's going on in the bigger community. You're recovering. You know what your triggers are. You know your self-talk. For me, the crust of a person's recovery is the quality of self-talk. I can't overstate that. And I'll say it again, okay? The, 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 the level, I might say it a little different, but it would come out the same way. The level of a person's recovery, right, is based on, well, it should, it's really, it's recovery than sobriety. I'll get into that. But that level of recovery, the quality of that is based on the quality of your self-talk. I couldn't agree more, yeah. Thank you. If yeah, you. I always talk about negative self-talk. I mean, <clears throat> it's one of those things that, you know, I think as addicts, we're empaths and we're always, you know, there, nobody is meaner to me than I am to myself, you know, and, and I, you know, for me, you can be sober nine months and still miserable as fuck because you're not working a program. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want to touch on that. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, and I've said this in a lot of meetings, that rock bottoms are all the same. Our rock bottoms are the same. It doesn't matter. You might think that your rock bottom is something that's a low point. A rock bottom is a day that you surrender and say, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Help me get out of this. And you ask for help for the first time. There's people that I've seen that come here into meetings. They're nine months sober, 10 months, whatever you want to call it. And they're like, um, and I'm like, no, you're alcohol free. You know what I mean? There's a difference. You know, you're, you're abstinent. But you're not trying to do anything. You're not actually working on yourself. You're not. Our problem wasn't drugs and alcohol. Our solution to our problems was drug and alcohol. Now that we take the drink and the drugs away, we have to work on ourselves so we don't pick it back up again. That's recovery. And now we speak about sobriety, right? I, I, can, I can really, really get into that. But for me, you know, uh, 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 for me, my sobriety is... My sobriety for me is the obsessive self-belief that I can perpetually become a better version of myself. And I mean that. The obs I mean, I am, I am obsessed. The same way that I used to be obsessed with crack cocaine can't tell me nothing about the loop. All right? The psychological loop of being obsessed with crack cocaine. I suffered for over three, de you know, three decades, right? So now what I've done was I've, I've, I've turned that passion on its head. And because I have sobriety and within my first year, okay, within my first year, I started an indie publishing company and wrote a book that is it's touching, it's touching people. And this is just the beginning. So if I can do that within my first year, I need to chase the next version, brother. And it ain't about the products. It's not about the products. I was a writer previously. Okay. Excuse me. 
on and off for over two decades. You know, I wrote articles, I wrote content, you know, I wrote newsletters, all right? I wrote, I wrote music, you know, way back in the day, you know what I mean? So that's always been my thing, but I've never come out with anything because like a thing thing with my name on it. That's another thing about my self-esteem. Throughout the years, I have written articles for different small to medium-sized companies, okay, on their website. That's a content writer, web writer, content writer, right? And I was a newsletter writer, and you don't get credit for that, of course, right? But writing articles, you can either have your name on it, what they call the byline, or you can do it as a, a, a ghost-written project, and of course, you'll get a little bit more, right? So honestly, I never built a portfolio of my own work and chose that little extra 50 or $100 so that, you know, I don't have to put my name on it because of the level of self-esteem that I had, Right? So now in sobriety, I am proud to actually pen my name next to this book. Not next to it, but, you know, put my name on this yeah. book. This is me. This is my body of work based on these experiences that I've had thus far. And this is how I got sober. So now that segues directly into what the book is about. Right. So the book is about I think I'll read the back. Right. It's, it's, it's real quick blurb. All right. And it's more or less succinct. After suffering from a drug addiction for over 30 years, I had a spiritual awakening. Finally surrendering to sobriety, I learned about recovery models and the power they had to change my life. This book describes the spiritual principles behind seven popular recovery models and how they transformed my life. And these are the seven. Keep coming back. One is too many, a thousand is never enough. One day at a time, 90 meetings in 90 days, principles before personalities, recovery is a journey, not a destination, which is my favorite, and thanks for letting me share. So those, okay. So again, I'm a writer. I'm a lover of stories, right? I love reading them. I love writing them. I love uh, 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 the theme between so many different stories uh, 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 over the millennia, you know, uh, 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 between different cultures as far as love, as far as honor, as far as that's always been, you know, my thing, right? What's really always been my thing is that, you know, words are powerful. I recently wrote an article on Vince Shiflet's uh, uh, website called The Hocus Pocus of Recovery Models, right? First meeting I ever went to was in 1992. It was an AA meeting because I was on parole. And remember, I told you from 90 to 92, it was drug related. So if it's drug related, you got, you know, you might, you got all kinds of stuff that you got to do, right? You 9090 got, is one of them. Thank you. That's where I learned about 90 and 90, right? So I speak about my first meeting in the book. It was, it was hilarious, seriously. And um, that's where I learned about AA is, be, you know, because of, of, of parole. So I'm going to these meetings and I'm hearing these slogans, these recovery models and all of that. And one side of me is like, that's kind of slick. The writer side, right? Yeah. You know, the the stubborn, the stubborn addict, young adult that's on parole is like, freaking assholes. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want to hear this stupid one day at a time. Nobody, you know, keep coming back. Why would I want to keep coming back when I don't want to be here in the first place, right? Yeah. I don't want to be here. Why would I, you know what I mean? So, but the thing about it, 
is that when I was on that bus, when I left the psych unit and I was like, I am on my road to recovery. I don't know what it looked like. I'm going to get sober. You understand what I'm saying? What came to my head was what Josh told me. Keep coming back. And it led me, you know, to uh, 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 it led me to the first place, which was um, and I don't even think I, I, I mentioned a name. I forgot the name of the top of my head. Uh, uh, um, was it Must Ministries? I said that. I'm tripping. Okay, it led me to Must Ministries. That like a siren in my head while I was on the bus. Keep coming back, Jeff. Keep coming back. I can't explain to you again. It was so weird because one level on one level there was that that level of peace, knowing I wouldn't get high again, but on the other level, it was like, I don't even have a place to go, a place to stay. So me hearing that recovery model keep coming back, right? The power behind that is what led me on my road to recovery. And that's real, bro. I'm on the bus scared to death, like, oh man, I got my trap phone, my, my crack, you know, it's all cracked and whatnot. And I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a Wi-Fi, the bus, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, what do I do? Where do I go? And I'm like, man, I'm gonna go back to Musk. I'm gonna get back on my feet. This is real. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm hearing it in my head. And then I'm seeing the, uh, 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 the scenario that transpired that made Josh tell me, keep coming back, keep coming back. And that, that was like a siren in my head, you know? So then while I was in treatment, you know, and, and you know, We, we go to treatment for different reasons. We know that. You understand what I'm saying? So there were very few people that I personally believe that were there because they really wanted to be, right? So I had to protect myself. I was antisocial like a mofo. They needed to be there for somebody else. You wanted to be there for you. Mm-hmm. It works when you want it, not mm-hmm. when you need it. We need water. We need oxygen. We need food. We don't need sobriety. You have to want it. You have to. You definitely have to one. Thank you for that. You have to. So I was I was I was antisocial with these guys, man. You understand what I'm saying? And keep in mind, come on, how much time I had in prison under my belt. Now I know how to be social. You know what I'm saying? So let me not, you know what I mean? Let me clarify that. It wasn't that I was antisocial because I was in prison. It was I was antisocial because I was in prison. <laughs> Yeah. I know I know how to sit back and look at groups of men and see no he's not the guy that I should be socializing with same thing. So even though it was a even though it was a sober environment, me knowing, you know what I'm saying? Nah, dude, dude ain't moving like he genuine. He ain't moving like he genuine. Oh, he on the phone with his girl every night crying and screaming. I know he here for his girl. He trying to get back in with her. You know what I'm saying? So I'm and I got to do this cuz why? I'm from the streets, right? So I have to sit back and protect myself. Even though we're here together, it doesn't mean we all have the same intention. So while I was there, I was antisocial, right? Yet something started knocking because I stayed in my room. I mean, I came out, I played little boss, you know what I'm saying, on certain levels, yeah. But for the most part, I'm in my room. I'm meditating. I'm praying. I'm crying. Yeah. Many nights I'm sitting there crying. I'm in the treatment, for, you know what I'm saying? But I'm just like, what's happening next? Still got to get my kids back in my life. But when that time come, it come. What's happening next? I got to be here for six months. 
I might have to play crazy so I can get SSI. We from the streets. Let's not. Come on. I told you I ain't going. I ain't sure to come nothing, bro. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like going through things. And I'm just like, oh, man. I don't know if I should even, you know, stay here because of the the tension between me and the guy who was running the place. You know what I'm saying? And I was ego driven on on his part. You know, I move. I'm, I'm just being honest. I move a certain way where it's just like, who's that guy? You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? That's just me, bro. I've been like that my entire life, you know. And now it feels so good to know that I'm moving in the light and not in the darkness. You understand what I'm saying? And I don't have to stand for anybody being rude to me because they may feel a little insecure around me. You're, you're, and that's what I was going through. And this is the guy that ran the spot. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. we have a conversation, just certain things was going down and they, you know, they all look at me for my opinion as opposed to him. And he like, I run this fight. What are you looking at him for? You know what I mean? And just, just other little, just, just things, man, just stuff. So I had to leave there. But when I left there, okay, during that time that I was there, what kept speaking to me were these different recovery models. Yeah. Did I hear an NA slogan in there too? Um, I'll I think say, was, keep coming it? back. One is too many. A thousand. There it is. What? There it is. That's from NA, right? That's an, see, and that's another thing. I've like, always heard that in NA and never really heard that in AA. Exactly. Some of them are AA. Some of them are I AA. like that. No, but, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you do it that way. Cause like, it was a nice surprise for me when I heard you say that one, because that's, you know, that's one of the ones that you chant, you know, NA meetings, anyone that's been to an NA meeting knows that there's some chanting. Yeah, and it's right. that one's one of them, you know, and it's jailhouse institutions death. It's there's a few different ones that everyone chimes in at once. Mm-hmm. And whoever's speaking when they're reading the opening, you know, things, that's mm-hmm. one of the re- in one of the reasons. And once they say one is too many, then everybody says and thousands is never no. enough. What about so. thanks for that shit? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We say that shit. Yeah, we say. Uh, yeah, I, I got real used to saying that, except for in L.A., L.A., they clap. L.A., they clap for you when you're done. And then in Pennsylvania, they're just like, all right. <laughs> it's like they don't clap <laughs> around here. And I'm so used to, like, getting clapped to death. You know, you got clapped for anything, you know, in L.A. And then in Pennsylvania, there's, like, no clapping. <laughs> so it's just something I got used to. <laughs> but, yeah, it's the uh, they keep coming back, though. It works if you work it. You know, and I even had somebody on that when they were told, you know, keep coming back, she was like, oh, my God, they want me here. Oh my God, I'm going to keep going. I feel special. And then she was like, then I found out some shit you just say to everybody. But, you know, it actually hit her to mm-hmm. keep coming back because she didn't know they said it to everybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And I just, that, that, that speaks to me so much. You know what I mean? That particular one right there, speak, keep coming back. And that's, you know, like I said, that's, that's the first chapter in the book. And that is the first message that I guess my spirit pulled from my memory, like being honest with you. Like I needed, when I, when I left, when I left the hospital, dude, I was just, again, there was that level of peace that I wouldn't get high anymore. Right. But I didn't know the path. So that was the fear. And while I'm on the bus, cause you can get on the bus for free, show them that you just got out the hospital. I'm just like, what am I going to do? And Josh's voice came to my head. That was my ex-sponsor for probably like a week. You know, keep coming back, Jeff. And the whole scenario I speak about, you know, in the book. And it was just so crazy that I took that. And then while I was in treatment on a daily basis, 
okay? But my, my, mind you, mind you, like I said, there was a dual way that I looked at me being with these guys because I was in prison, right? Because I was in prison, there's a level of being antisocial, like, who this dude, who's this dude, all of that, right? For a level of, of, of protection. We do that for protection. You know what I mean? Can't let you in my inner sanctum. I don't know who you are. We're all in prison. Everybody's dangerous, etc. You understand what I'm saying? Don't know what your intentions are. What are your motives? Hmm. You know what I mean? You know, and now it's like I'm in this situation and I know damn well I was just smoking crack. So he was just smoking crack. Don't know what stuff you do to smoke crack, but I'm embarrassed about the shit that I do to smoke crack. Really not a good human. You, you understand what I'm saying? And I don't know where you are and your level of recovery, so I'm not going to open myself up for you to play games with me because you had dudes there that were preying on other dudes, you know, bullying guys, and I'm definitely not the guy to get bullied, but I don't put myself in a position for you to even think that I'm not going to... You know what I'm saying? So I'm protecting myself on that level. You can't be lazy in sobriety. Like, how do you do that? How do you be lazy? Like... If you are, it doesn't work. No, it's not. You're gonna slip. And that's the thing, it's always work. That's the recovery part. I had a conversation, I had a conversation with a brother, um, Stay Stop Jackson, right? Stay Stop Jackson, Jackson, he good people. See out there in California, he good people. And he had called me one day, right? Uh, I met him off of IG. And he calls me and he's like, you know, just just asking about, you know, this recovery part. You keep always saying that you're recovering. He said, Come on, Jeff, man, you've recovered. You know what I mean? You, you, I, I didn't have a year yet. It was a couple of weeks before my year. He was like, you're going on a year. You got the book out. You got the company. You know what I'm saying? You, getting, you know what I mean? You got, come on, man. You, you in a sober relationship. Your girl got more time than you. You are recovered. And I'm like, I got to chew on that, Jackson. I said, I got to chew on that. You know what I mean? Because it's not, you know, uh, 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 the first time somebody really like brought it to my attention. You know what I mean? I said, but I got I to gotta chew on it. You know, I don't know if I'm recovered or recovering. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I, at the moment, right now, I'm still sticking to me believing that I'm still a recovering addict because I'm always seeking that level of health. Yes. Yeah. That, there, that, and that's how I identify the recovering part. That's and the, the recovering and the recovered is a big thing in the program where people will go back and forth and argue all the time. There's the whole camp of people that you say, you don't say recovered, you always say recovering. Yeah. And then there's the people that I know, there are, there's a bunch of people I know, and actually some are, a lot of them West Coast, they're always like, but the book says, you know, 17 different times uh-huh. with an ED, the book yeah. says recovered. That's what Jackson said, that's what Jackson said. Yeah. So, you know, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of people that, you know, they'll stick to that, and that's what they said. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but, you know, it for me, if I think that I'm recovered, that's when I start going down again, you know, when I think I'm done, you know, so yeah, I'm in recovery, you know, with a Y. I don't say recovering, you know, I would say with a Y, I'm in recovery. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I say I'm in recovery, but I also say I'm a grateful recovering addict and and recovering alcoholic. I can't talk. I am a grateful recovering addict and alcoholic. You know what I'm saying? Because this is a constant thing. You know what I mean? Because my relationship with it is like, okay, again, I make a distinction between recovery and sobriety, right? But as long as I am alive, as far as I'm concerned, I am constantly recovering so I can enjoy the life of sobriety. Like, that's how I think it works. You know what I mean? Recovery for me is just one slice of who I am. 
Yeah. I don't have to recover when it comes to writing. So I'm not a recovering writer. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not a, you know, I'm learning how to be a good lover. And I don't mean that sexually. I mean, really like a good, you know, paying attention to my partner. And you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, she's really teaching me because she's sober, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not a recovering partner. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you're active. There hasn't been, uh, uh, you know, such damage in those other areas where I need to regain my health and constantly stay on point about that level of health. To me, that's recovering. And I need to only do that when it comes to drugs and alcohol. So for me, I'm still solid, you know, and I believe that what you inherit <laughs> when you put that level of work in and recovery is a life of sobriety. It is a lifestyle. You understand what I'm saying? Whether it's a whether it's a cute T-shirt like the one I'm wearing right now, right? Still sober, right? Or it's uh, 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 um, me being able to say, "Ha, huh, 122 uh, a year and 22 days clean." You understand what I'm saying? As a part of that, but guess what? It's the whole of the way that you choose to live. For me, that's sobriety. Me meditating, me staying on point about, you know, uh, 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 not slipping into the guy I used to be. Me always uh, uh, being proactive about what I'm doing next spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Me stepping up my level of meditation. Me, you understand what I'm saying? Me stepping up my level of health. I relapsed on cigarettes. I've been struggling with that. Now I'm getting ready to get back, you know, to, um, you know, get back to leaving that alone. You know what I mean? That's sobriety. That's what areas do I need to focus on? You understand what I'm saying? And go hard in those areas. Where is my passion? Am I am I a painter? Right? See, this is my big thing. I'm because I'm getting ready to start doing a bunch of videos. You remember the sty situation, right? Should we tell should we tell your community? That's that that was funny. That was too funny. Yeah, you tell. Them. If well, you want to you know, it's just crazy to me that we both had styes in our eye for our one year, man. Like, I woke up on my buddy's couch in L.A., you know, just because I was crashing with him. I flew into L.A. for my one year, and, you know, we go to a meeting that night. I take my first cake, and then um, I pass, I crash at his place, and I all intentionally wake up and doing shit and hitting a bunch of meetings that day. And I wake up, my eye just, like, swollen shut. And so... It was crazy, you know, when I hit you, I'm like, congrats on one year. Let's do this interview. Let's do this podcast. Let's get your book out there, bro. And you're like, man, is it a video? I'm like, yeah. And you're like, man, my eye is just, let me, uh, let me show you. <laughs> and then, like, man, it looked like mine. It was awesome. You know, we exchanged those pics. <laughs> show me your star eye, right? That was, that's, that's, you can't, you can't, you can't make that up when you bomb with people over stuff like that. You just yeah. can't, right? You just can't. Yeah, it's just. And for me, what you were saying, sobriety for me is unmanageability. Sobriety for me is that that second part of the first step of the unmanageability. Mm -hmm. Is my life unmanageable right now? Mm -hmm. You know, because mm -hmm. like anyone can be abstinent from the, the first part. Anyone can stop the first part. But is your life unmanageable still? You That's know? sobriety. Because there's so many people going back to what you said when we first opened up. Ah, you just passed me the basketball. I'm about to dunk it. So many people in sobriety, so-called sobriety, are miserable. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't consider that being sober. I just don't. Me, I just don't. Because when you get to being sober, 
dude, for me, it's like, dude, I don't care if I wake up and my back is hurting. Like, I'm sleeping on the couch right now, right? Sleeping on the couch, right? My girl's recovering. You know, she just had, you know, uh, two surgeries within the last two months. It's hard right now. You know what I mean? I'm sleeping on this couch. I wake up sometimes, cricking the neck, back. Okay, cool. But I wake up, and I kid you not, there's a level of humility when I wake up, a level of peace and a level of joy. And this is every single day since I've been sober. And I know it because there was an absence of it before I got sober. <laughs> My entire life. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I know. You know, and yeah, even I couldn't agree more. Ex- I'm sorry. I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah. And even with my ex-wife, beautiful woman, beautiful mom. You understand what I'm saying? Beautiful woman. Right. And my beautiful children. And I, I was so in love with my life at that time. I still didn't wake up with that. That's what I wake up with. Humility, peace and joy. And that's what sobriety has given me. And And, 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 and if I have that peace. Right. And I have that joy. It's because there is a lack of drama in my life. Right. Because my life was unmanageable when I was getting high. I am sober now. Picture me tolerating drama. Huh? (laughs) I just was like, I tag on it, man. I cannot remember what I told my girl the other day. It was so funny. I was complaining about something. You know what I mean? I was complaining about something, man. And I was like, yeah. This is this is where my life has like, like it was something so trivial and I was like this is the level of drama in my life, you know what I mean? It was so trivial, you know, you know, because I have no, I have, yeah. I have, I don't, I don't play that. You understand know what I'm saying? I don't play that. I will shut you down. You know, first and foremost, first and foremost, as far as I'm concerned, is that on a daily basis, I need for me, I need to be honest and accountable to myself. This is on a daily basis for me. That I slip today, and I ain't talking about getting high. You know what I mean? I'm talking about at night, you know, some nights I'm getting better at doing it, but as far as assessing my day before I go to sleep. You know what I mean? And some days I do better than others. Doing a spot check, doing a 10. It's it's Mando. I must do that. It's funny, I always say like, I didn't know that people said gratitude or grateful besides Thanksgiving until I got sober. Yeah. You know what I mean? I never heard the words gratitude or I'm grateful until I got sober or somebody won like an Oscar or some shit. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't hear those words. And then all of a sudden I got sober and then we're doing 10 step every day, you know, in, in rehab. And then like, all right, what's your gratitude list? I'm like, my what list? They're like, what are you grateful for? I'm like, is it think it's April. We're we doing gratitude for They're mm. like, you practice gratitude every day. I'm like, <laughs> like you know, like blown away. 31 years old at the time, you know, almost 32. And I had no idea that people even used the words gratitude and grateful besides Thanksgiving, yeah. you know. And because I was so far, you know, I, I drank for 20 years. And for 10 of them, I was in the pills every single day, you know, okay. every single day for nine and a half years. I had some few bouts, a little bit of here and there. But let's be real. It was nine and a half years. My mind was on pills every single day. Whether I ingested them or not, you know, sometimes I didn't even get a chance, but it was on my mind obsessing for nine and a half years, Mm. you know, so I, you know, I get it, man. Is there anything else you wanted to end with? Like, because I do have to wrap up soon. Yes, sir. Anything anything you wanted to end up and with? What final question might you have for me? 
that we can we can end off with that. What final question? Because I, my, you know, I have. A- what's number two? What's what's book number two? What are you working on? I'm still working on that. Okay, so thank you. What am I working? Yeah. On? What are you working on? Okay, currently, I am working on the audio book. Okay, so I could slap that on Amazon and on uh, 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 Barnes and Noble and the workbook. The workbook probably is going to come out before the audio book. I don't know. You know what I mean? But being that, like I said, uh, peer support specialists are now using a book. And I have one that um, I'm in talks with as far as helping me develop it. You know what I mean? And that's that's what's slated, hopefully, you know, for this winter so I can start selling them as a set. Not hopefully, definitely this winter. Yeah. I'll be selling that as a set. You know what I mean? I might I'll have I'll have the description. I'll have your Amazon link in the description. So mm-hmm. if you want to go straight to the book, just you know, you'll be able to click on the link in the description, whether you're listening or whether you're watching, the link will be in there for you just to click right on it and it'll go take it right to his book on Amazon. Appreciate you, brother. I really do. Yeah. And I'm probably gonna hit you with a PDF copy, man, and I like like to hear your opinion on that. You know what I of mean? Of course, bro, yeah. Um, you know, I just I just wanna end off by saying, you know, honestly, I appreciate I appreciate your time. I appreciate you allowing me, you know, trusting me enough to add value to your community. That that's first and foremost. I really, I really appreciate that, you know. And um, just want to tell your community, tell your family that um, I'm sober for real. You know, I'm sober for real. And what I mean by I'm sober for real is that I live this on a daily basis. You know, I am so grateful for the fact that I have a year and 22 days clean, and I didn't get it by myself. You know, I got it by working with beautiful people. And I mean that other sober, you know, recovering addicts and alcoholics, you know what I mean? And the love that I'm getting, you know, from my book, it's because of the authenticity. I'm an addict, you're an addict, recovering addict, you know what I mean? And people are taking in my book because game recognized game. Again, I don't sugarcoat nothing. You know what I mean? Game recognize game. You know when somebody is 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 telling their story when it touches you. You know. You yeah. know. You know what I mean? You know. So I'm I'm just asking, you know, the community to help me help me build this out. Help me build this out. And what I mean by build this out is help me extend my message. You know, that words are powerful. Words are extremely powerful. And that if you choose to be sober, you'd be surprised what version that you'll become one day. You know, that's my message, you know, and I would implore you to just just check the book out. Check the reviews out. He's going to leave the link. Check the reviews out on Amazon. I got people doing TikToks with the book. And, you know, it's the love of the community because it relates, you know. What is your TikTok? um, Sober slogans. Sober underscore slogans. You're going to see the book there. You are you following? Uh, are you on my page, Sober Slogans page on Facebook? Yeah, of course, man. That's how I found you. Yeah. Okay. My bad. Nah, I'm fucking with you, bro. Yeah, I got you though. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I just. G uh... two, same thing. Sober Slogans. It's a brand, baby. I mean, but I'm gonna let you go. Listen, I appreciate. You know what I mean? The love right here. Like I said, I'm, I'm gonna hit you with the PDF, and hopefully after that, maybe we might, you know, do another one. Maybe we can yep. put something together for your peoples. We'll talk. Awesome. Awesome, bro. Awesome. Have a great day, dude. I'll talk to you. You too, bro. See you, man. See you. Thank you.